they can stay here. They need not depart. Go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 16. When Jesus heard of it, he departed by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place. The time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages, and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, That's what I want you to grab these four words. They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Another version said it this way. They don't need to leave. You give them something. The paths of fellowship and relationship were both meaningful for Jesus and John the Baptist. When you begin the beginning of chapter 14, you find the story of John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, you find the dreaded beheading of John the Baptist, where he loses his head for the sake of the gospel, but he was willing to do that. He had no problem with that because he loved Jesus just that much. But in chapter 14, we learn a little bit about John the Baptist and Jesus. And, and all through history, they have been linked together in prophecy, dating all the way back to the book of Malachi. And as we've been studying, we know that Jesus and talking of Jesus was way before them. We even know that in Isaiah, that Jesus, that Isaiah said there's somebody coming before Jesus that is going to say, prepare the way, make his path straight. Who was that? John the Baptist. So we read about John the Baptist and Jesus throughout prophecy, and they are linked together all the way back into the Old Testament, but especially in Malachi. The Bible teaches us that John and Jesus are cousins. Their mothers were cousins, and so they were second cousins. Their ministries are united in purpose. There is one reason. Their message is simple. It is repentance and holiness. It is not just about repenting. It is a change of lifestyle. And we've got John here that's a great man of God, but he willingly decreases. Are you willing to decrease so that Jesus can increase? I, do I have anybody in the house that say, you know what, I would step back out the spotlight as long as Jesus gets in the spotlight. I think that's the way we should be when we preach or when we sing or when we do anything, teach for the glory of God. I think we should make it a point that we kind of move out the way and say, hey, Turtle at times that, that, that not only he sees John and he knows. 
He tells his disciples, everybody with him, I just need to be alone. <coughs> Has anybody ever been there where you just want to be alone? Has anybody, when I'm pastoring naked, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. We lived in a parsonage there, and the kids' rooms had locks on them. Well, some of you say, that ain't a big deal. Well, maybe it's not, but the lock was on the outside, not the inside. What's your name now? <laughs> The point is, when you need seclusion, you just lock them in their room and say, you ain't coming out till I unlock it. Jesus gets to a place that he has to have this seclusion. But the time of rest is interrupted because there are literally thousands of people that saw him going to the mountain. And like little stray dogs, they started straggling behind Jesus. They, they wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus was tired. Jesus needed rest. But they oh, we ain't giving no rest. Thousands of people are thronging, trying to get to where he
You know, I'm glad for Jesus. He never takes his phone off the hook, people. I remember I tried to call all week last week. I called him. I, I called him two weeks. Called him on their house phone. Tried my best to get up with him. I finally got a cell phone. Called him on the cell phone. First time I called on that, they wouldn't answer. I was about to just call somebody. So we need to just run out here and check on these people. They must not have made it. Well, guess what? When I finally hit him on the cell phone, I said, I've been trying to call you on your house phone. And they said, them old telemarketers been aggravating us out of us. We don't know this. My response was, no wonder I haven't been able to get up with you. Jesus never unplugs his phone. He always 24, 7, 365 days out the year. Jesus is on the other line. Call him on the main line. He is always there listening. He never goes to lunch and puts out at the lunch sign. I'll be back in an hour. He is an accessible Savior, ladies and gentlemen. The songwriter put it best when he said it this way. He said, I can call on Jesus anytime. It does not matter.
I mean, if you had to survive out here, you'd be cutting taxes and sucking, trying to get what? Hooking yourself in the lift with a pile of little old thorns. Yeah. The one thing that you learn about the desert is the desert really doesn't have much vegetation. The desert doesn't have much sustenance. If you drop somebody off in the desert and that's all that they had, they could not survive by themselves in the desert with no resources. Because the desert doesn't provide that. They would have to get out of the desert and go to a lush place, a place that is fruitful, before they can get what they needed. There's not apple trees growing in the middle of the desert. There's not some snack peas over there we can snack and boil some water. We can't even find water. That's what the desert is. That is why when you hear preachers, when they start talking about being in desert places, they're talking about you feel like you're dry. You feel like you're hungry. You feel like you need something. You've got to have a touch from God. Because you find your place, yourself in a place of lack of sustenance and, and provision that you need a nourishment for your soul. That is when we say that you are in a desert place. Understand with me. It is limited in resources. The place was limited in potential. You know, the chances of finding through here is nearly impossible, especially for a crowd of 25,000 people. Understand, not only are the disciples judging the place, but they are sizing up the people. And as they're looking over their congregation, the people seem to be as barren and without potential as the place was without potential. They saw nobody in the crowd, but they came hey, could you help us out? You look like you could help me. They sized up everybody. And from the looks of what they saw, they judged everybody and said, there is nobody in this crowd that is capable or able to help us. We might as well go on with our life. We might as well just let them go out of here. We cannot feed them. We cannot do anything. And we have these disciples that are sitting here judging people by the way they look. I want to tell you something. Don't ever judge a person's by their looks. There is a reason that when Samuel the prophet went to go anoint David as king, he looked at all of the other brothers, he saw the potential. And he said, surely this one's the king. Oh, this one, why? He's a, he, he's a head taller than everybody else. Surely this guy is going to be the next king. No, that's not him, that's not him. And finally he said, wait, well, wait a minute. Do you have any more kids? Well, we got this little brother boy in the backyard about 17 years old. His name's David. David. All right, let's see David. When David walks in, he's like, hey, no way, this guy's a king. This guy cannot be a king. Look how ruddy he is. He's probably just a slender little fella. I mean, what can this guy bring to the table? And God had the skull sitting on the man. Let's go to John 7, 37. This is what the Bible 
object of faith. In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. You see where the water is? He that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of what? Of living water. So you can say you're in a desert place. But if you would recognize that Jesus is with you in the middle of your death, even in the middle of your death, the wells will swing up inside of you and you'll be saying, hey, I think I'll just stay here another couple weeks because God showed me He can be faithful in the middle of a barren place. Amen. God can bless me in the middle of a dry, barren land. That's the God that I serve. Amen. He said every place is a fruitful valley when He is there. Because Jesus is here. Don't ever think that something is dead and over. Don't ever give up on a marriage that you think is dying. Because all you need to do is you need to get Jesus in the middle of the desert. And he can give you what you need. The resources you need. The blessing you need. The good relationship you need. All you got to find is Jesus. God, oh, number two, we're in a desperate place. The second excuse is it's too late. Sounds like some church folks about 1205 on Sunday. <laughs> y'all, we're going to have a move with God. Y'all should have started at 1055. Why are you going to wait at 1205 and start worshiping Jesus? Y'all sat there quiet. The whole service got about 12 o'clock and somebody wants to shout. You got to be kidding me. It's too late for this stuff. This is what they tell me. It's too late. We, we, we can't do it. The disciples determined that the lateness of the hour nullified the effectiveness of the miracle working power of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't care if it was daylight or if it was the middle of the night. It didn't matter. Jesus is still Jesus. His power is still his power. His anointing is still his anointing. It does not alter, it does not change, time cannot change it, space cannot change it, I cannot change it. It doesn't matter how late it is. See, too often the churches, we use the same reasoning to excuse our weak efforts of reaching a last day harvest. It's too late. We can't reach them. Some of the excuses that I've heard, some of the most popular ones are, it's a new day, it's a different age, praise God. Well, we used to reach them people to Jesus and they won't even come to church. And while I have to agree with you to an extent that yes, it is a different church. This isn't the same church I grew up in. And when I say church, I'm saying in general. This is not the church I grew up in. This is not the church as a teenager that I knew. People are different. People have changed. Needs have changed. We have escalated a world that is full of sin in a way. Yes, we never sinned back then, but we are at a new level of ungodliness and wickedness and absolute nastiness. It's the way sin will be described, and I have to call it by a name today. It is nasty. We are dealing with a world we've never dealt with before. Maybe it's too late. It's a new and a different age. Some people believe that today's society, they just won't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so now we've gotten into this new age movement where we have to make people feel comfortable with
when you deal with sin, you hurt your attendance. That's what they would tell us. It's too late for old time preaching. It's too late to preach what the Bible said. It's too late to call people out for their sin. It's way too late for that. That doesn't work anymore. Can I tell you it does work? And can I tell you I have prophesied this for years and I still believe it to be the fact. I believe that before Jesus Christ comes back that all of these churches have picked Mistake. 
messed up, there's no, well, there's no repentance that we're going to give you. There's no, no compassion we're going to give you, buddy. You do me better, bless God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory. So while we're in the steeple and it's over our head and we're trying to act as if we got it all together, we know we don't. You know you ain't got it together. I should have been in some of y'all's house this Friday afternoon listening to y'all screaming higher. You ain't got it together. You may bet you do. You ain't got it together. So, so let's not act as if we're better than somebody else. The village has never been and never will be the answer to the hearts of hungry men. They are hungry for something the world cannot give them. There are still some church folks that prejudge the harvest that God desires to send to his church. But I told you the other week that when you throw the net out, you cannot be peeking with what kind of catch you're going to make. Amen. If I send people to the village, a bottle's going to fit them. Come on, somebody. If I send them to the village, their drug habit is going to get them. It's going to fit them. The answer for the world is not the disciples' suggestion. Let's just send them out there. We'll send them to a cancer. We'll send them to another church. We'll send them somewhere else. This is above our pay grade. But I want you to understand, it's never too late with Jesus. The village doesn't have to be there. We've got the bread of life. All we got to do is get them in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. The bread of life and their hunger will be filled. I know what the world offers. The Bible tells us all that is in the world. It is the lust of the flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of the world. We know what the world offers us. They offer us temporary fixes. It offers us temporary satisfaction. But the end result of sin is always the same. Death. It doesn't matter how much we enjoy it. At the end of the day, we will end up losing. Jesus said to us these things I have spoken to you. That in me, in whom? In Jesus Christ, you can have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I, I have already overcome the world. This village out there, it is filled with immorality. It has confusion in the middle. That is why it is so important that we as Christians know what we believe and stand on it. Now we can bicker all day about what a certain verse meant. Prophetically, whatever. We can sit there and say, I believe this is what the prophets say. And Brian can say, I disagree with that. I think this is my interpretation. This is the way I see it. There's some places in the Bible that we're going to have a different view. That's just why Jesus made it that way, I think, so that we pray and study more and try to figure it out. Because if he gave us everything from A to Z, we wouldn't need to read the Bible. We wouldn't need to study. We wouldn't need to research. There would be no need. We all know. So God wants us to dig a little deeper. That's why some people stay on the surface and others are down in the hole still digging. And they're like, what you doing out there, man? They ain't digging they ain't getting into it. Oh, God, I thought I'd preach in the dance. That is why 
it is so important that in the church we agree on the basics. We may not agree on the entirety of the Bible. We may not agree on scripture verses. But we better believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. If you do away with that foundational belief, your gospel will collapse. Your salvation is unfit and undone for the kingdom of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life in the flesh. You tear that down, the gospel tears down.
It's a desert place. It is too late. And just let the village of the world feed in Jesus. And I'm going to leave you with this. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when Jesus is in it. John 6, 9, the words of story. I'm going to read that of John instead of Matthew because I'm going to share this. Are you ready for this? A little boy, a little boy, steps up with his lunchbox. A little boy. It was funny, I was that little boy. I was six years old. What you want for Christmas? If you'd buy me one of those, I'd be the happiest little preacher in the world. So Mama made a mistake and bought one. I drove her a bit crazy, I'm sure, many times. But I set my little speaker up in my living room. And I was like, God, you can use me. And I would preach and I would scream and I would holler. I would jump on the couch. I would cut flips. <laughs> until I couldn't hold the speaker. And my voice is gone. I record my sermons. I've got a few of them. It's hilarious. Oh, I'm telling you, there was a lot of people in my congregation that were non existent, but I told them they were all going to hell. <laughs> and it was sad. I ain't got one person to listen. Every now and then, maybe dead or not, in the back room. But I preach, and I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to give God what you have. And all I had, I didn't have much money. I just got a few quarters and a little piggy bank. I didn't have much. But I'm going to tell you what I had. I had a microphone and I had a little speaker. And I did what I could do for the kingdom of God. Nobody but Jesus. And I believe he listened to every one of my sermons. And I believe he sat there and smiled the whole time. Don't ever underestimate the power of their giftings and their talents. That is why family day we do it. We want you to see it. Because we want them to show what they can do. What God. That is why we take a Sunday and we have a Christmas play. It is not because it's tradition and because we always done it. It is because of the giftings that little kids can bring to this congregation. Amen. Do you know to date the largest service we ever had was a kid's Christmas play. We had about 200, almost 290 people in this building. We ran out of chairs, had to bring the balloons from over there. We had them set all the way up to the back door, all because some children brought a lunchbox and said, let me show you what Jesus is doing. <laughs> let me show you that that, 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 when God is in it, he can take anybody. Yes, Samuel, he can take, he can take David, Yeah, I'm not a Twitter find this. Y'all find it. 
I shock people all the time. Like we get in church, kids, we want to jump and we got to dance a little bit and just have fun. I'm saying, my God, let them dance. Let them shout. Let them do whatever they want to do. As long as they're in their seat and they ain't running around distracting everybody, let them worship Jesus. Don't stop. If they shout hallelujah or amen, don't put your hand over their mouth. Let them give God glory. There is a little boy with the lunch box that he brought to the Lord. And this is what he said. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. All right? That is five saltine crackers and two sardines. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, man, that sounds good for lunch. That's disgusting is all I got to say to you. <laughs> they bring it to Jesus. He would have to bless that really good. I've got these five crackers, Jesus, and these two little fish mom gave me. I'm going to eat it for lunch. I'm just a little fella. It usually feels good, but here it is. And these disciples said, Jesus, we got them here, but what are they going to say? How often do we question the ability of God? How often are we the ones that say, oh, no, we got that, but it's not we can't do it because it's not going to work. It's not enough. I, I need more. We're like the Gideon. This is where I'm going to lay out the fleece. In the night, I want the fleece to, to get wet. And when I come out tomorrow, <coughs> the fleece is wet. You stuck to me. I know you can do it. So God lets the fleece get wet. That ain't enough for Gideon. Gideon says, let's lay another fleece. And this time, I'm going to let you just shut it off my ground and dry. God's person says, oh my God, he does this one more day. I'm going to get out. Guess what happened? The next day, God performs another miracle. But Gideon is down and down and down. And God, help us not to doubt what Jesus can do. Understand with me, folks in this house today, who you are serving. You don't have to worry when it touches the hands of Jesus. Everything in your life is about to change. Amen. This boy's gift was transferred and then it was transformed. See, these pessimistic disciples are getting on my nerves. Because literally right beside them, Jesus in the flesh. We have to trust him as, as he's a God up there, right? We have to trust him that he's this God that can just, he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at one time. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. That's the God that we have. We haven't had one service where Jesus in a physical form walked in our room and said, hey guys, y'all go get a cat They did. He is standing beside them. They can touch him as if he's an object. They can feel him. They can hug him. Oh my God. They go to prayer service with him. Can you even imagine hearing Jesus pray? It was so powerful that one of the disciples was that was so good when you teach us how to They got him literally right beside them. Listen to me. I read in my Bible. I went back a few chapters about Jesus and his disciples. This is the same God that healed a withered hand in front of them. This is the same Jesus and a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. It was dried up immediately when she touched it. And he said to his disciples, who touched me? Lord, it's the strong practice of her virtue. Came out of me and she stood up and gave her testimony. The disciples there's a young man that, man that can't speak. Jesus touched him. His tongue is loose, and all of a sudden he's speaking. 
There's two blind men that come to him that want to heal. The disciples are right there, and he speaks the word, and it happens. Their eyes are open. He's right there. you got to be willing to transfer what you have to the hands of Jesus. When you give Jesus what you have, when you transfer it, he will transform. Do you know what transformation means? Dramatic change. When you give it to Jesus, Lord, I'm not a sinner. You can say I'm key half the time. Here you go, Jesus. And all of a sudden, they start singing. Well, they sound really good today. It's because they learn how to transfer it to Him when He touches it. He begins to transform it. They're singing like a beautiful song. I mean, they can do it. When you give your little preaching ability, your speaking ability, when you give it to Jesus, it is multiplied to 50, 100 fold when it is transformed by Him. I got to close with this. Matthew 14, 17. Go ahead and get over there. Get over there. I'm close. Matthew 14, 17. They said to Him, we have here only five loaves to He said, bring them here to me. Sometimes you gotta do something. You gotta take it to him. Don't make him come get it and say, You gotta use it. You need to walk along and say, this. Bring them there. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves, two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed it, broke it, gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave it to the multitude. Y'all ready for this? Here goes the for the day, verse 20. So they all ate. Y'all catch that? Nobody went that. This is an all you can eat about that. And I know how some of y'all act with us. <laughs> and they were all dead. Totally satisfied. I don't need anything else. If I take anything else, I'm going to pop. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Go to the next one. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women in the church. Some say up to 25,000 people. They had a big appetite. You got 5,000 men with big appetites. So go back for those seconds, folks. There is no need to send 100 <coughs> to the village. We don't have to send them somewhere else. Whatever the church places in his hands, he blesses it. And when we add his touch to it, it is enough to feed the multitudes. They need not depart. We are to give them the bread of life right here today. Yes. Listen to me. You need not depart today the way you come. You don't have to leave depressed, sad, lonely. You don't have to leave today in a shaky relationship, no. If you miss anything else, catch this. All you have to do is put your situation in the hands of Christ. He'll take care of the rest. Jesus will transform any and everything that he touches. I'm going to leave you with this. When, when I was coming up in, in school, we had to learn these poems. There was one poem that I had to learn, I had to quote from memory. I'll never forget it. It's very, very difficult. And I can't remember it all. That's why I got on this poem. And I know I'm getting over because I'm having a whole push. And I got contacts in. My focus here, I come. 
The name of this coin was called the Touch of the Master's Hand. Anybody ever heard of it? Huh? I got two or three. Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held up with a smile. What am I bidding you, folks? He cried. We'll start with bidding for me. A dollar, a dollar, then two. Only two. Two dollars. Who would think it? Three dollars twice. Three dollars twice. Going for free. But no. From the rain, far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bunny. He wiped the dust from the old violin, tightened up the loose strings. He played a melody that was pure and sweet as Carolyn Angus. The music ceased, and the auctioneer with a voice that was kind of quiet and low, he said, what am I bid for the old violin? One thousand? One thousand? Who would make it two? Two thousand? Who would make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Go on. And God said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand what changed the worth of the old violin. But Swift came to reply. It was the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with a life that is out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd. Much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, he is going twice, he is going, almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of the soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I often think if, if I could know what everybody in this church felt right now, if I could just know that, if God would just give me a moment and let me hear your conversation this morning with your husband. If, if he would just let me do that, just a moment. I'm sure that there are people in this church that have come hungry. There are people in this church that when they came in, they felt really empty. God sent me today with the word for you. The word is very simple. Get it in his hand. Not my hands. Huh. It's above my pay grade for sure. I can't handle it. Pray with me. I can tell you a couple of motivational speeches I learned around all the services to tell you to make you feel this. That's what I can do. But if you put it in his hands, everything God wanted me to tell you today. I heard him. They need not depart. I'm going to be in my house. And when I'm in the house, I can handle any situation. That's right. So today, they're about the same. This altar is open. And if you feel the need to pray today, be more than welcome to come and spend some time, not with me, but with the master. 
Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't, I don't think you come today. I'm not going to stop. Right there on your seat. I don't care how you do it. Do whatever you do. You just got to get it in Jesus' hand. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Thank you.